Greetings from the management of MuppetHub.com. We regret to inform you that the regular opening of 11 Point Collar has been temporarily suspended and replaced with an updated opening. This is done in protest of the actions, or lack of action, of our rival podcast, The Muppetcast. The Muppetcast has insisted on referring to itself as the only podcast dedicated to the work of Jim Henson and The Muppets, in spite of the fact that it is now one of approximately five podcasts dedicated to the work of Jim Henson and The Muppets. Our theme song will return to normal once this blatant slander and discrimination has come to an end. We thank you for your patience as we resolve this trivial and silly but important matter. It's 11 Point Collar, the only podcast dedicated to the work of Jim Henson and the Muppets. Hosted by J.D. Hansel, the only podcaster dedicated to the work of Jim Henson and the Muppets. Happy Independence Day, Americans! Okay, are the really patriotic Americans satisfied yet? Okay, good. In that case, to the rest of the world, hello, hola, greetings, sanitations, welcome to a totally normal day with a not-so-normal episode of 11 Point Collar. We're jumping across the pond this week to talk about the Sesame Street co-production for Chester Hotel with one of the stars of the show, puppeteer Andrew James Spooner. I was actually kind of tempted to host this episode with a British accent, but then I thought it might end up something like that one time Jim Henson tried to do a British accent. I say, this dreadful thing would never have happened if we'd sent them Wilkins tea. And I don't really like the sound of that. So, I will just be myself for this episode, and if there's one thing myself likes to do, it's trivia time. That and terrible segues, apparently. Here's a tune to get us in the right mindset for your upcoming trivia challenge. That I love London so Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner That I think of her wherever I go I get a funny feeling inside of me Just walking up and down Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner Everybody's cup of tea. Also, ja. Often you hear foreigners complain. Ah, dumm Noisy, smoky city. Oh, it seemed to me. Yes, Monty, yes. There's magic in the fog and the rain. Yeah. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner that I love London so. Ah, so.
The United Kingdom has been the shooting location of a number of Muppet productions, perhaps most notably The Muppet Show. Since Henson liked England a lot, it can actually be really hard to remember what wasn't filmed in England. So, which of the following Muppet productions wasn't filmed in England? A. The Great Muppet Caper B. The Muppet Christmas Carol C. The Muppets D. Muppets Most Wanted or E. None of the Above The correct answer is C, The Muppets. In spite of Jason Siegel's attempts to write places he'd like to go into his script so that he can go there, the 2011 film was all shot in the States, mostly in California. And now for something completely different, here's a bit of Fergus Fuzz from Furchester Hotel. Welcome to the Furchester Hotel. I'm Fergus Fuzz. My husband. My dad. Elmo's uncle. I have many jobs at the Furchester. Oh, Fergus, dear, could you please fix the ice maker in the penguin suite? Uh, just after I've delivered these bags, unclog the pool and fix Mr. Doll's chair. Yes, if you need something fixed, I'm your monster. You fix my favourite chair! Yay! Oh, wow! I'll bring your luggage to your room. <laughs> oh, good morning, Mr. Doll. I'm also the hotel gardener. And the dog walker. Well, okay. <laughs> I even entertain our guests. It's time to bloom. It's time to bloom. And my dad's always finding ways to improve the hotel. And don't forget to tell everybody about how good you are at solving problems, Fergus. Oh, yeah, because you know we got lots of problems here. Lots. Is Uncle Fergus sure this is gonna work? <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> of course, I could never do any of it without the help of my family. <laughs> so if you need anything during your stay at the Furchester, anything at all, just call my name. Fergus? Yes, just like that. <laughs> could you please polish the bowling pins and fix the air conditioning in the polar suite? Oh, and the lift's broken again. Oh, right away, dear. <laughs> My guest today is someone you've probably seen around on Twitter lately, as he's been posting some great behind-the-scenes photos from CBB's Sesame Street co-production, The Furchester Hotel. He performs one of the main characters on the show, Elmo's Uncle Fergus Fuzz. He's also puppeteered in a number of Muppet and Henson productions, including Muppet's Most Wanted, The Hoobs, Muppet Treasure Island, and some Jim Henson Creature Shop commercials as well. Andrew James Spooner, thank you for joining us. Do I call you JD? Uh, yeah, sure, JD. Sounds great. Okay. Great. Hi, JD. <laughs> Hi. Do I call you Andrew? Yeah, that's fine. All right. Uh, you know, some people call me JT Hanksleben and other weird names like that. You get, okay. some, you get some odd nicknames in the Muppet fan world. But I'll start by asking you a pretty simple question I'm sure you've gotten a number of times before. Uh, so what's the meaning of life? No, no, never mind. Um, <laughs> how did you... For that. I do actually have an answer for that. Oh, what's that? It's either 42 if you've read Douglas Adams or uh, chocolate chip cookies, one or the other. Right, yeah. I saw 42 coming. I did not see the chocolate chip cookies coming. But <laughs> what I really want to ask is how did you get into puppetry? Well, I guess it kind of, I, stuff like the Muppets just hit at the right time. I was, 
born in the early 70s, 1971. So when all those things like The Muppets, Star Wars, and obviously the, the movies like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal hit, I was kind of at just the right age to really, really, you know, get into that kind of stuff. I was I was kind of grew up in the 70s, a very 70s child. I was into Star Wars, Doctor Who, The Muppets, Star Trek reruns, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, just watching The Muppets on TV and just that kind of burst of colour and music, um, which was quite unusual for, you know, I guess it wasn't even really children's television back then. It was kind of a family show. They stuck it on late in the afternoon so families could watch it. And there was just nothing else like it. So I was pretty much hooked on uh, the Muppets, at least from that point. I never really thought about being a puppeteer. Um, I guess I was just too young. I didn't quite understand what that was. Um, So I kind of sidelined and I went off and I trained to be an actor and it was during that that process that I kind of realized that I wasn't that comfortable being on stage as myself. And it was at that point I kind of looked back and went, puppetry, that, that sounds like a really interesting idea. I was interested in it when I was younger. So I left drama school and I wrote a letter to the Jim Henson Creature Shop in Camden. Hmm. Um, this would have been about... 1994 something like that and it just happened that they were auditioning um it was a pure fluke and what i didn't know at the time was is that they were starting to cast a net out to look at what talent was out there because they were gearing up to do muppet treasure island so anyway i wrote this letter very surprised to get a phone call back saying yeah by all means come in for an audition Um, So I traveled up to London, went to Camden, and it was kind of like this two-week Henson boot camp. The first day, they kind of just plowed through as many auditionees as they could, and then they narrowed it down to, I think, about 20. Um, And then after the first week, I've managed to survive. And then they narrowed it down to eight. It was kind of like, um, you get the, do you have the X Factor over there? Or pop up. I, it was kind of a bit like that, you know. Every day they would read a list of names out, and you would just hope that your name got called out. But I managed. Right. To... No, after you, by all means. Oh no, I was just I, I was saying right because that's something that uh, I've learned from listening to radio interviews. So I just mimic what they do. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. No, I um yeah. So I I survived to the the second week, and there was eight of us, and we had a pretty intense workshop for uh, that last week um, that was taken by um, some uh, people that were mostly associated I guess with the Creature Shop in Camden which some of your listeners might know there was Nigel Plaskett he's been around for a very long time as a puppeteer Uh, Rob Tigner who'd done a lot of work with them including stuff like um, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Kevin Clash um, who was kind of like the leader of that um, workshop and then after that I kind of you know started getting called in for little jobs and then I guess my first uh, big gig was uh, Muppet Treasure Island which we shot I think we started shooting in April 1995. Hmm. What was it like working on Muppet Treasure Island? I, it was kind of insane. <laughs> I That's what I'd expect. Yeah it was kind of a really hot summer. I do remember that. And I just remember I'd done a, I'd literally just finished uh, drama school, obviously. And I'd just done a tour of um, Romeo and Juliet. And I'd got a phone call towards the end of that tour saying, would you like to come in for maybe a week 
on Muppet Treasure Island. And of course it was like, yes, yes, I didn't, don't even need to think about it. Um, so I went in for that first week and it was a week where we shot most of the stuff to do with the Hispaniola in the dock before it departed at the beginning of the film. So it was like Kermit arriving, getting out of the stagecoach, and there was a lot of background action. So I'm I'm in there, but I'm, you know, way, way, way at the back. And then that week came to an end, and I thought, well, that was great. You know, a week on a Muppet movie, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, and then as I was leaving on the Friday, the production manager kind of collared me and said, uh, can I just have a quick word? And me being me and being English, my initial reaction is, uh, what have I done? I'm about to get fired or something like that. But he, he took me to one side and he said, I think I think we might be able to offer you about 10 weeks work if you would be interested. At which point my brain exploded. <laughs> right. Of course. That sounds yeah. very exciting. And it was. It was. I. It's kind of I think everybody has. Anybody who's in this business has one job that is a benchmark uh, for everything else that they do in the rest of the career, and 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 Muppet Treasure Island is is that for me because it was I was there every day for the entire shoot, and then there was a period of about three weeks, two or three weeks in the middle of the shoot where um, Frank Oz came over because it was just at that period where he was starting to move away from doing stuff with the Muppets, but he he came in anyway to do about two weeks, which, which were all the important scenes with Fozzie and Miss Piggy. And they asked me to be his assistant for two weeks. And that was that was just crazy. Oh my crazy. gosh. Uh, I mean, that sounds on one hand fun and amazing, but on the other hand, intimidating because it's Frank Oz. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and the thing about Frank is, um, I mean, I, I don't know if he's changed over the years, but when I worked with him, see, he, he didn't initially talk to you. <laughs> for like the first few hours and um you'd have your hand in uh Fozzie's obviously his uh left hand in Fozzie's glove and then he would grab your hand with the other hand and it was kind of like an unspoken rule which was just like you're not going to move it I'm doing mm. everything and it was like okay but you know he loosened up um we got to know each other a bit I mean I've never you know met him face to face since but that was a really intense couple of weeks where I learned an awful lot. Yeah. Did that eventually lead to working on other Henson productions? Like, uh, I know you did some commercials with the Creature Shop. Yeah. Um, we did a series of commercials for, uh, I think the product is called Casuline Abroad. It's a, fa it's a fabric softener that has a white bear um, as a mascot. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, because the Creature Shop was, was based in Camden, it had um, really good connections with you know all the best uh, puppeteer talent in the UK and I was just starting out so I didn't you know I didn't get every single job by any means but occasionally when somebody else wasn't available um, they'd give me a call I remember at one point they they rang me I can't remember what year this was um, maybe you can help me out here but I got a phone call on a Thursday asking me if I would be interested in going to Australia and working on this thing that they were doing called Farscape for six months. But I was going to have to be on the plane in like, uh, I think, four days. They gave me a four-day turnaround. I don't know if somebody else had dropped out or what had happened, but I, I had to say no. And it was absolutely gutting because there was just no way that I could turn my life around in four days and then uh, disappear for six yeah. months. Wow. I, I haven't watched... Or I really just haven't researched Farscape enough to know exactly what year that would have been. I, 
I think it was I think it was late nineties. My brain hmm. is telling me late nineties, early noughties, but I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I honestly couldn't tell you. That sounds about right to me. I just that's one of those shows that it's on my list. I will <laughs> I will research Farscape eventually. So uh, lately I've noticed a lot of your work on the Furchester Hotel. And oh. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what the Furchester Hotel is and what your character's role is in the show? Well, the Furchester Hotel is the world's only half-star monster-run hotel. And in terms of its history within Sesame Street, now, we haven't had Sesame Street over here in the UK for you know many, many years now. But from what I understand, there was, for a brief period, there was a hotel called the Furry Arms or something like that in, in Sesame Street. That's true. That's right. And it, and it didn't, for whatever reason, it, it either didn't click or it didn't last for very long for whatever reason uh, but it was obviously an idea that kind of uh, that stuck around in their heads and they were looking for somebody to do it as a as a fully fledged concept and they finally uh, struck up a deal obviously with the bbc and cbb's um and we i guess i started hearing rumors about it i was doing a it was this it was the same year we did muppets most wanted i'd done muppets most wanted and then off the back of that, I'd gone into a show that the BBC did with the Jim Henson Company called That Puppet Game Show, uh, which ran for about eight weeks. It was um, a kind of Saturday evening entertainment show with puppets. Um, and we started hearing these rumours about this big show that was going to be shot up in uh, Media City in Manchester by the BBC and Sesame Street. So I kind of put my feelers out there um, and then I got called up to audition and at this point you know we we knew very very little uh, about what it was about um so i went along for the first audition and then i got a a better idea of what it was it was like okay so cookie and elmo have come over to england um to work mm-hmm. in a hotel and uh the people that run it are elmo's uncle and aunt uh Fenella and fergus but that, but that's all we knew. And then I got a second audition, which is always brilliant but nerve-wracking because you've got to step up your game. And it then became clear that Fergus was going to be Scottish. <laughs> mm. So I was like, right, okay, I've got to crack open my best Scottish accent. And again, we went through an audition process for about two days. Um, we were up in Manchester kind of going in, reading scenes, coming back out, reading different characters. Um, and it was about, I think it, after that audition, it was probably about a month, almost two months before I got the call saying that they wanted me to play Fergus, which was, I've got to say, it came just before Christmas 2013. Um, I got that call and it was, yeah, that's about the best call you can ever get, I think. I'd, I'd imagine so. Is it ever explained on the show how Cookie Monster got there? Because I watched the first episode and I didn't really see how... I don't think they ever go into any great detail. I think there's a video out there with Cookie and John Oliver where he's talking about getting his passport ready and getting on a plane and what things he should expect that are different in England. But uh, yeah, they never go into that greater detail. (laughs) Yeah, I watched the first episode and I'm thinking we're going to see him arrive or something. But no, he and Elmo are just there, employed. Just there. They're just... We don't need to explain it. They've come over. That's fine. <laughs> Good enough for me. Yeah. Now, it it looks like you incorporated a form of the 
shadowmation puppetry process, if I'm saying that right, into Furchester a bit, uh, when you're doing sort of a form of the Bunraku puppetry in which it's all done on green screens and you've got the whole puppet's body there and everyone else is right, keyed out. Right. And is that pretty different from working on doing regular puppetry, I guess? Um, we, well, we had a little bit of that in there. I mean, there's um, there's a few episodes where there is actually quite a bit of full body stuff that we did up against green screen i think a couple of them have already aired um there's one called ballroom dance weekend where fergus is uh, uh running around with polishing the floor and there's a full body shot in that and there's another couple which i'll i'll keep quiet about because they haven't aired yet um where we've got some of that in i mean i think we tried to do as much of that as we could the, the problem with that is 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 putting it in just for the sake of it. I think because it's so complicated and it's so time consuming, there has to be a really good reason for it to be there. Otherwise, I think it just it just kind of sticks out. So in the case of the Furchester, I think they were very careful about how they deployed that kind of stuff. And it, and it is in there. And I think it, it just adds it, it adds to it, I think. Yeah, I have seen a lot of green screen in this, though, which is one of the main differences between for Chester and Sesame Street. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I don't that kind of changes the look and feel and style of the show quite a bit. Mm. Does that make it different in terms of performance when you're working against a green screen? Oh yeah, I mean the thing about green screen is there's so many technical things um that they've got to get right. In fact, um I think on my Twitter feed I I've, I've posted a couple of photographs of some of the green screen stuff that we did. Um I you know, I I kind of enjoy the green screen thing. Um, I know people that don't, um, but I enjoy it because it's so technical because you have to hit certain beats and certain positions and you can't go outside of those because, you know, something technical is wrong with it. And so you have to go over and over and over again until you get it right. I, I actually really enjoy that process. Now, I could be wrong about this, but it seems like the Muppet fan world doesn't really know all that much about Ryan Dillon because he sort of showed up on the scene pretty recently. Uh, yeah. When he took on the role of Elmo from Kevin, I'd never heard of him before, but I was right. immediately wowed by his performance. He's brilliant, isn't he? Yeah. So, I mean, I just don't know much about him. What's what's he like to work with? He's absolutely brilliant. Um, he's he's funny. He's he's about as, you know, he's the best puppeteer you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, I, I didn't know um, anything about him uh, when he came on board, uh, when he came over to England, rather, because obviously I associated Elmo with Kevin, and I'd met Kevin in the past, um, and I hadn't really kept track of what had happened and who had taken over the character. So when he walked in and started performing, it's just astonishing. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely spot on. But I think also he's very much making Elmo his now as well. It's not just a carbon copy uh, of what Kevin did. It, it's very much Ryan's Elmo, and he just—he's uh, just—he's just amazing. Yeah, I've noticed that he has been adapting the character to himself, making it more of his own Elmo. But still, all of the little touches and idiosyncrasies, all of the right things that need to be there for it to be Elmo, are all still there, and it's very impressive and has been that way uh, from the beginning. Yeah. Now, instead of taking on someone else's character, when you're creating a new character, as you did with Fergus, I imagine that's a pretty different beast. So what was it like 
finding Fergus. Right. I mean, it's it's tricky. By way of answering that, I'll I'll tell you another little story. It was um, kind of ties into what we've just been talking about. I when I first started out, I did a character called uh, very imaginatively just called Dog. He was this great big white fluffy dog, Um, and it was a character that I played on and off um, on television for about six or seven years. It ran. Now that wasn't originally my character. It was another uh, puppeteer, another puppeteer actually who's worked a lot with Henson's called Phil Easton, um, lovely guy. And um, I guess part of the reason I I got it is because vocally we're quite similar, and so that I I could do the most accurate. I'm not going to say impression, but I, I could get my voice as close to that character voice as pretty much anybody. So I got the job. And of course, originally, when you first start, you're trying to make that kind of bridge between what the original puppeteer was doing and what you're doing as seamless as possible. So I guess the first few shows, maybe the first season that I did, it was very much making sure that all the stuff that the um, people who watched the show, it was called Tiny and Crew, by the way, um, all the stuff that the people recognized as being that character was still in place. And it probably wasn't until the second season that I felt like, right, I can probably relax it now slightly and start maybe not trying to get so obsessively close to the voice because, you know, I, I do sound slightly different. And gradually over, you know, that seven years, the character became very much my own. In fact, I kind of watch the character early and I go, there's something about that character. He, he said he, he feels slightly older to me than when I finished, he felt slightly younger. So there was a, there was a slight, you know, shift in the personality, nothing drastic. And it happened over a long period of time. And you could, you could say the same with, um, I guess, Steve Whitmire's Kermit. It's, it's Kermit. And there's no denying that, but that he's kind of eased in, to the character over the years and i think it's more steve now certainly you know when it started he was obviously trying to absolutely nail everything that jim brought to that character but he's been able to relax it now over the years and bring more of himself to it now with fergus yeah it's it's a completely different um proposition and you know a lot of it is in the writing a lot of it is in you get a little character breakdown um when you take the character on that gives you a, a little idea of what his character is and how he fits in with everybody else and the great thing with the Furchester is everybody has kind of a designated very clear role within the family setup so phoebe is the character um that elmo looks up to he's kind of guiding him through all the adventures that he has in the Furchester. Then you've got uh, Fenella, who's the matriarch of the family. You know, she's in charge of the hotel. She owns the hotel, but she's very, um, very gregarious and very, um, I'm going to say hot tempered. I don't mean tempered, but she's very passionate. And then Fergus is kind of like, uh, I kind of saw him as the, the uncle that you always wish you'd had. He's kind of the slightly eccentric, slightly befuddled, well-meaning uncle who just wants what's best for everybody and wants to keep everybody pleased and he's kind of like the odd job man in the hotel he's the one that if there's a problem Fenella will scream out his name first and he'll turn up with his toolbox and try and solve the problem again it was a process of finding him um and i think that as i watch the episodes now the early because they show them out of order from how we shot them i look at them and i can go okay that's an early show 
I can tell that's an early show because I haven't quite nailed um, the eccentricity of the character or I haven't quite nailed some other aspect of his personality. But certainly, you know, by halfway through and towards the end of the show, the show I knew exactly who he was. Just this kind of really well-meaning, slightly clueless character. And when I say clueless, I don't mean not intelligent because in my head he's an inventor. He's the guy that comes up with all these wonderful contraptions to solve problems. Um, I think they've already aired the show over here. I don't know if they've aired it in the States where he builds a toboggan run through the hotel. Hmm. Have you seen that one yet? I personally have not, but that that doesn't mean it hasn't been released somewhere. I think it has. I think it'll probably I think it'll probably be on iTunes or the Sesame Street YouTube channel. But anyway, yeah, he builds a, a giant toboggan run through the hotel. So that's that's the kind of thing he does, and yet he's still slightly clueless about most things. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, big question. Yeah. Who's been the most fun character that you've performed in your puppetry career? Oh, gosh. Now, that is tricky. I'm going to... I know it's going to sound really awful, um, but I'm going to say Fergus, simply because, apart from the, you know, the character breakdown that I was given i was i was essentially given free reign um to do what i wanted and you know i don't think once they ever said no 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 that that, that's not right for that character and and simply because it was such a long production period i mean we shot for three and a half months um and we did 52 episodes back to back pretty much it's pretty much the longest time i've worked with a character in one block if you see i mean i played the dog character for lots of you know, over seven years, but it was it was quite broken up. Um, but again, just just everything about the Furchester was brilliant. The character, um, the setup we had in Manchester with all the sets were raised so that we were standing while we were puppeteering rather than, you know, scooting around on our bottoms meant that we had complete freedom of movement. And all that kind of just combined to make it a, a wonderful experience. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm Searching my brain for transition words. Great. I, I enjoyed playing. I've I've played Animal a couple of times. In uh, uh, I I played him a few times in uh, Muppet Treasure Island and in Muppets Most Wanted. And I've got a soft spot for Animal. I have to say. <laughs> oh, interesting. I was wondering about Muppets Most Wanted and how you got involved in that. If that was a different type of audition process entirely, or uh, that wasn't. I guess that wasn't really. I didn't have to audition. I guess just purely off of the back that um, I'd done Muppet Treasure Island and been involved in the Creature Shop when it was still open in the UK. I think it closed in about 2004, 2005, meant that when they uh, obviously made the decision because it was Disney to come over and shoot at Pinewood, I think they pretty much just called everybody they had a phone number for (laughs) just to see if we were even still around because it had been so many years since, I guess, the last Muppet movie to shoot over here before that was um, Muppet Treasure Island. So uh, I think they came over with a list uh, and then they just started making phone calls. And luckily enough, I got the phone call. So that was great. Now, you've done some voice acting in addition to the puppetry work. And I was wondering which of the two types of performance you prefer. How do they compare in terms of difficulty or fun or the different elements involved? Um, I would say that I, I, I enjoy them both for different reasons. I think partly the reason why I enjoy doing the voiceover work is because and growing up in the 70s, we weren't surrounded by media in the way that 
we are now. I mean, even in comparison to the US in the same period, we had three TV stations and that was it. Um, you had So I listened to a lot of radio as a kid. Radio was kind of my thing because it was on all day. And the BBC used to uh, play repeats of comedy shows that, you know, they made back in the 40s, 50s and 60s. And I just fell in love with that kind of stuff. So I was listening to shows like uh, The Goons, uh, which starred Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan and Harry Seacombe and all these wonderful actors. And so I'm kind of fascinated by audio production anyway. And then when I got into puppetry, obviously doing lots of different character voices for different projects it kind of lends itself to doing voiceover work for stuff like uh video games i recently did a video game where i played a donut and that was uh you know (laughs) they ask you what do you think the donut will sound like and you actually have to think about that for a minute (laughs) yeah but you know all that background in listening to radio kind of feeds into that now the difference is is that puppetry is more like um a straight acting job you're on camera um you're creating a character whereas i guess voiceover you're i well here's the thing that i do when i'm doing recording voiceovers i tend to stand up i stand up with the microphone rather than sit down because i find that if i sit down my energy goes down and that kind of comes across in the performance whereas if i stand up and gesticulate and jump around then that energy comes through in the performance and that and that's the difference with the voiceover, everything has to come through the voice. Everything, every little inflection that you can put in, anything to lift that performance and bring it to life. Now, Newsoids is yep. another show you've been doing, which is pretty different from Furchester, I think. Yeah. Just, just a little, just a little. Just a uh, tiny bit, yeah. <laughs> and it actually has a unique puppetry style, unlike anything I've seen before. So... How would you explain that show to someone who's not familiar with it at all? Well, as as I said, it's a, it's a satirical puppet show, so I guess all the, uh, it's an adult show. It's not a show for kids at all. Um, taking a pop at you know celebrity culture, and because it was showing during the general election over here, politicians especially. Um, yeah, how would I explain it? Well, it's a completely different approach. It, in my head, it's actually more like a. Um, it's actually more like a special effects shoot than a puppetry shoot. It's very precise. The puppets aren't that big, um, so it's all shot on a on a fairly tight um, scale. So even the slightest move uh, that you do is 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 quite big on screen. So it becomes about it's it's much more precision work in a way than um, the Furchester. It's the puppets are much more delicate as well. You can't you know, um, toss them around too much, they'll break and they're expensive. Each one of those puppets, I think, were about £5,000. So you can't, you, you know, you can't be breaking them. And we, we did have accidents, arms and legs fell off and that kind of thing. It, it's going to happen. Um, and then, of course, you've got the the other factor that you're not voicing the characters because all the characters are being voiced by uh, imperson- impersonators. And we're miming um, to a backing track as it were, on on set. So that takes lip sync right out of the... You're not even thinking about that. And that's actually interesting as a puppeteer because it becomes about body language more. Uh, There's a kind of shift in the way you think. You're you're acting it out as if you're a mime artist. 
while you're listening to these uh, backing tracks being played. And that, and that's the first time I've ever done that. And that that was a process that took me about a week to kind of kind of zero in on when I first started because I'm so used to learning the dialogue, performing the dialogue, to suddenly be in a situation where sometimes I didn't even know what the dialogue in the sketch was when I was in the pit. Yeah, we'd listen to it and then go, oh right, it's about that. Okay, now I can think about what I'm going to do with the character and 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 stuff like that. But it's rod puppetry, um, so again the puppets are a little bit more rigid. Um, than obviously the Muppet style puppetry. Um, we would have a puppeteer that would puppeteer the body and the head. Um, and then we would have another puppeteer or maybe two doing the arms. So it becomes, you know, very collaborative. And again, very difficult, as I said, because it's on such a small scale compared to um, the stuff that we do on Furchester. So the slightest movement is just, you know, blown out of proportion on screen. Right, yeah. And you, I think you said the puppets were uh, 3D printed, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And as far as I know, that's a new thing. Um, they, there's a very similar uh, style of puppetry, as I said, done on a show called uh, Strange Hill High, but they, they were not 3D printed. These were 3D printed. I think it was partly testing out the technology to see if it was um, feasible and also a cost thing. I think it brought the cost down of building the puppets. I mean, they still needed a lot of Obviously, they didn't just come out of the, the 3D printer ready. There was a lot of work that went into them afterwards. Um, but yeah, it seemed to work pretty well, I'd say. That's fascinating. Do you have any suggestions for aspiring puppeteers who would like to learn the craft and maybe have a main character of their own in a Muppet production someday? Well, um, first of all, be patient. <laughs> it took me uh, 20 years pretty much, uh, to get my main character on Sesame Street, kind of just plugging away. Advice. Um, well, in, in some respects, it's easier, but it's harder, because when I first started out, it was all about um, whenever you wanted to contact anybody, it was all about writing letters, uh, sticking them in the snail mail and hoping that somebody would read it. And if you wanted somebody to see a showreel, then you had to copy it from your master master VHS copy onto another VHS copy, which you would never, ever see again. And then you had to pay for all of that, stick it in the post and hope that somebody somewhere would see it. Whereas now, I mean, it's just it's crazy. I mean, things like Twitter and YouTube and um, not so much Facebook. I, d I don't use Facebook for um professional use that that's i leave that to you know friends and family i use twitter a lot though and websites where you can you know bring all of your stuff together i would say grab a camera you can you know even just a phone um you can buy some pretty good puppets and just practice 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 i mean that's essentially what i did when i was first starting out my dad had an old uh betamax uh, video camera and i had some puppets that i'd grown up with uh, one of whom was actually a Rolf, uh, Rolf the dog puppet that I'd had since I was about seven years old. And I would kind of just sit there uh, and practice and see if I could copy what I'd seen on the television. And now, of course, um, with all the video editing that you can get, even on phones these days and tablets, you can create something that looks pretty good and stick it up on the Internet and just contact people. It never hurts to write to somebody or email and see what kind of reaction you get. Um, I was kind of 
not very good at that to begin with. Um, I, I didn't like bothering people for some reason. And of course, it's taken me a while, but I finally realized that if you don't do anything, then nothing is definitely going to happen. So just try, just get out there, get emailing, and you honestly never know what will happen. If, if I can make it, and I was a, a guy growing up in a, you know, a tiny village in the Kent countryside in the UK, watching the Muppets growing up, if I can do it, then you can, certainly. <laughs> Well, now I'm just so inspired. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll make that recording my ringtone or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, to start wrapping things up, okay. I'd, I'd like to recommend that our listeners check out The Furchester, which can be found on the official Sesame Street YouTube channel, and it's available to download in iTunes. And, uh, would you like to tell everybody where they can find you online? Yeah, um... I've got a website. It's very, very simple, www.andrewjamesspooner.com. Um, and I'm also, uh, you'll find links for that on my Twitter feed, which is at the only spoon, at the only spoon. Sorry, only once. I don't know why I said that twice. That's ridiculous. It's at the only spoon. Um, I try and keep it interesting. I try and post something at least um, once or twice a day. Um, days like today, it's been utterly ridiculous. I've been too busy. I've barely done anything. But most days I will post something of interest, I hope. Yeah, it's been very interesting. You are probably the most active Twitter user I know of in the <laughs> Muppet fan community. Uh, perhaps aside from those who are doing the 24-7 news updates and they constantly have to keep up on the busy news days. But right, right. Uh, I'll make sure that I do have a link to the Only Spoon Twitter in the show notes because that's great fun. Well, I'm trying to figure it out you know this whole twitter thing i'm such a dinosaur i'm 44 for heaven's sake i'm still trying to figure out i've really only been concentrating on twitter now for about i would say five or six months so you know i'm, I'm doing okay i've got almost a thousand followers i'm pleased with that <laughs> i certainly would be yeah so thank you very very much for being on the show uh, it's absolute pleasure thank you so much it's been a real hoot talking to you Well, I sure enjoyed chatting with Andrew and learning about the Furchester, so I do suggest you follow at the Only Spoon and watch an episode or two of the Furchester on YouTube. For those of you who wish we'd focused more on celebrating America, since it's just a few days after July 4th, and that's usually what Muppet podcasts do this time of year, I think it's important to point out that I did confusingly blur the lines between England and the UK as if they're kind of the same thing, and is there anything more American than total ignorance of other countries? I don't think so. By the way, I've put a link in the show notes to a great video that explains the United Kingdom in relation to England and Great Britain that will really clear things up if you are confused about that, and I'm pretty sure much of the world is. More importantly, the main website for 11 Point Collar, the only podcast dedicated to the work of Jim Henson and the Muppets, is MuppetHub.com. There you will find every episode of the show, plus videos, articles, and more. You can find us on Facebook at MuppetHub.com Facebook or by going to Facebook.com JD11PC. The Twitter feed is at JD11PC and we're also JD11PC on Tumblr, Instagram, and eBay. Yes, I've started putting up some of my Muppet merch collection on eBay, so if you'd like to expand your Muppet Babies toys collection or check out the other things that I have for sale there, you can go to MuppetHub.com support for some information about what we're doing on eBay. MuppetHub.com support is also where you can learn about our Patreon page, which is a great way to help support Muppet Hub. 
In fact, as one of the perks, people who've pledged $2 a month or more on Patreon, or who recently donated to Muppet Hub directly, got to listen to this episode early. For any questions about that, or any comments on anything going on at Muppet Hub, or if you just want to say hi, please email me at me, M-E, at MuppetHub.com. Me at MuppetHub.com. That's all for this episode, so until next time, waka waka, wubba wubba, and weeba weeba. I know you have a slightly different measurement system. It's 32 degrees here. That's uh, 89.6. Yeah, that sounds hot. And he's been posting some great behind-the-scenes photos from BBC's... No, it's not technically BBC. It's one of the... Um, the, the... Do you want to start again? <laughs> I do want to start again, yes.